0: Hey, partner, from Austin, Texas, where I'm enjoying some great company under the auspices of Tim and Lisa Scott, who've been kind enough to host me in a spare room they have out back, much like the dog, I'm not allowed in the house. Just kidding. I hope you're all doing brilliantly well. I was recently on Year Zero podcast with Tommy Sammons, who I met at Childerberg Festival in Texas end of May, I think. Everything's a blur. Uh, But we've been friends on Facebook for many years before that. So it was good that we got to meet up in person. Anyway, we talked about a lot of stuff. Some stuff about current affairs, UBI, and the COVID lockdown, but then I get into some stuff that I've not spoken about before on the podcast regarding some of the horror stories I've heard about lockdowns and then some interesting stuff about vaccine research. This would be episode 187 of the Scottish Liberty podcast. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. You know where to find me. I'm on Facebook, and you can also email me, Anthony, at BeYourselfAndLoveIt.com, if you want to talk to me. To the
1: podcast! Okay, I am here with Mr. Anthony Samaroff, the Scottish economist. What's going on, buddy?
0: (laughs) I'm chilling in L.A. The travels continue. (laughs) I've got a couple of stops before I need to go leave the country because you're only allowed to stay here for 90 days at a stretch and then you need to leave. And you can't just like say, go to Costa Rica and come back the next day. That's not acceptable. You need to stay out for a while. So um, I've got a couple more stops. I'm going to be in Nashville. I'm going to be in Austin Texas which is a little treat for me because I was there for a couple of days with Stephen Kinsella and I just really liked the atmosphere in Austin so I said whenever I get the chance I'm going to find a way to to chill there for a week or so and it took many months but I finally got my chance
1: yeah yeah Austin's pretty nice it's, a, it's an interesting city I lived uh, outside of Austin for for a while, and uh, I I enjoyed my time there. Um, gotten a lot of gotten a lot of trouble. I was young, going to clubs, doing stupid shit. But yeah.
0: Well, a lot of people are complaining that it's like it's un it's undergone a multi decade leftist te- takeover. Okay. But I have to say, the vibe's cool, and maybe just leftists create cool vibe cities. I love the vibe in Austin, but also people don't realize there's a huge libertarian community in Austin. I've been to a whole bunch of cities and the meetup that I went to in Austin was one of the biggest, if not the biggest turnout of like libertarian minded people for a meetup. So, (coughs) and I, I don't think that's because I was coming. It was just a really big It was just a really big meetup. Yeah. Um. So it's good to know that there's so many liberty-minded people in that city, and it's got a buzz. You know, I love cities that have a buzz. They just have their own like feeling. They are like, it it feels good to be in certain cities. I find.
1: Yeah. Did you get to hang out with Scott? Any when you were up there?
0: I've hung out with Scott like three times. At least at events and things like that, but he wasn't able to go to that meetup. He did tell me that if I was ever in Austin, I should um, shoot him a message and we'd go out on the boat. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I've mostly hung out with him at events. Oh, okay. All right. Well. You know, one
1: of the the reason I wanted to have you on, and I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to get you on the podcast. Though we've talked off the podcast, you know, quite a few times, spent some time together at (laughs) Childerberg, and all that. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to get you on is because you wrote the book on UBI, and one of the one of the things I noticed, I wrote
0: the book on UBI. You wrote
1: the book, the book. It is the book on UBI. But one of the things I've noticed over the last year. And, um, one Beatrix client has, or one of her clients has been trying to hire people. And I've heard that unemployment is paying out more than what minimum wage is. And they've had a lot of issues with people applying several times, but never reacting to the, their inquiry to interview. And, yeah. And so a lot
0: of art, actually, a lot of articles have been appearing on this in the conservative press. Right. And even my dad sent me an article that was echoing this in the UK press. Um, as in, some journalist that was keeping abreast of what was going on in the American media mm-hmm. basically did a copycat article of the stuff that's been appearing in the States saying, People don't want to get jobs. People don't want to go back to work.
1: Right. They,
0: they enjoy being on, on furlough or they're worried that they'll lose um, more benefit than they get. So they basically had a little bash of UBI in the United States. And um, it looks like the economists have been correct. Well, I, I say economists loosely because the classical tradition in e- economics predicts that if you if you subsidize certain behavior you'll get more of it, and Mm -hmm. if you punish certain behavior you'll get less of it of course there's a bunch of economists that do apologetics for ubi and say that the laws of economics suspend because the human spirit you know the emancipatory power of the ubi as i've called it oh no if you just pay people to stay at home what will happen is they'll feel less pressure on themselves and they'll become more ambitious and they'll they'll want to start a business or they'll follow their dreams that they were too stressed to before but um i mean countless are the people who've said do you know what i'm gonna leave my job and i'm gonna become a novelist i've saved up some money
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and you know Three to nine months later, they end up getting a job because they find out when they are at home with all that time, they find reasons to procrastinate and not write the novel they've always wanted to write or whatever it is. And because it kind of reminds me of when you're at college, and when I was at college, I was writing plays, Mm -hmm. and it's not fucking easy to write a play. At least I didn't find it easy Um, when. When I was in college, I would think, oh, I can't wait till the summer so that I've got lots of free time and I can really finish this. But of course, when the summer came around, I would think, oh, I can't wait till college goes back and I've got some structure in my life so that I can, like, because uh, this lack of structure is killing me. There's always an excuse not to follow your dreams. And people who do do it because they can't not do it because they have to do it and mm. um, giving them a ubi is in nine out of ten cases not going to not going to suddenly put a fire under their ass to do those thing, things they always wanted to do because if they wanted to do them badly enough they would be doing them already mm. it, you know, they need to go and see a psychologist. They don't need, to they don't, they, if, if, if they're having trouble, um, motivating themselves, they don't need to, to be, um, kept like a domesticated animal mm. at everyone else's expense. I should add.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause people, people are like, basically what you're saying is people react to incentives and they, oh, sorry my dog just ran into my cigarette. Um, but, uh, yeah, people react to incentives and and the more, more perverse, the incentives as, as in a UBI and, and getting, getting this extended, these extended benefits for, you know, the last year and a half, it is, is caused a lot of people to just sit around and do nothing. Whereas somebody like me, I'm, I'm looking around and going, Oh shit, you know, shits, shits hitting the fan. This is what I've been reading about. I need to start doing something, but I was already in the process of doing something. So it it was, it was just a matter of me basically for lack of a better term, putting the pedal to the metal and, and not, you know, changing my habits. It was just making my habits more habitual.
0: Mm. Well, there's no doubt that some people will have used the lockdown to, develop themselves. Yeah. I guess those kinds of people will use any situation in their life to develop themselves. And, um, you know if you're a good student you learn from everything basically.
1: Right. Some people some people I would say like the vast majority of people aren't ambitious though. They're just mm. doing they're just doing what it takes to get by. Right. And and so there are always going to be those ambitious people that maybe haven't had the opportunity or, you know, have fallen on hard times or whatever that are always looking for an opportunity to, to present itself and will take advantage of a situation like the lockdowns. But there is um, probably a vast majority of people I'd say that are just it, it just interested in squeaking by and not interested in pursuing any any better avenue. And I think that's what we've seen with the uh, amount of money that the government has been pumping out to people.
0: Well, I mean, the chickens haven't come home to roost either. The thing is about printing money is obviously you get benefits in the here and now. But people don't know what the consequences of all this is going to be. I mean, I don't um, watch the news, so I don't know what people are consuming really. But I imagine they're not saying on the news, well, what are going to be the consequences of all this money that um, has been printed during the lockdowns? Like, I'm guessing that there's not going to be, that you're not going to find a reasoned discussion of that on NBC. Right. MSNBC. Yeah. Yeah. Or CNN. You right. Know? One of the
1: most interesting points that you made in um, your book, UBI For and Against, was when you were talking about the price of housing and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're really, you, you cover how that the government is incentivized to to subsidize the the housing market in order to keep the price of housing ri- rising, and it's one of the only markets in 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 the world that is on the like perpetually rises, never never drops, and it's because homeowners want the value of their property to go up. And I just I just got an appraisal done on my house and sent over the last 6 years it has gone up from valued at 177,000 to over
0: 259,000
1: wow yeah just in in the last 6 years not so, a bad
0: investment right but exactly here's, here's the thing it's basically public choice theory at any time there's more people who own a house than there are people who are looking for a house So if house prices fall, that's going to be a lot of pissed off voters. So even though it would benefit everyone, if house prices fell drastically Mm. in the long term, well, I mean, obviously, if you own a thousand properties, it's not going to benefit you. But even though it would benefit almost everyone, even if you've got a mortgage, because the thing is you're going to be able to essentially get a better value property for the same amount of money you're paying mm. or get um or pay a lot less for a, a property of the 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 same size so it's going to benefit most people in the long term in the short term it's never in the interest of the government to allow this to happen, which is why they always do everything they can you know find for Fannie me and Freddie Mac, well, Freddie Mac, and F- Fre- I, you know, you know. I, what I know, know what you're done. saying. Yeah, yeah, um, we're, we're on know, the same page. <laughs> printing money, indeed. Um, regulating th- regulating zoning laws, um, delegating certain lands, saying that it can't be used for environmental reasons, even though in many cases those protected lands are actually of very low quality in terms of ecosystems. These are all um, mean or yet yeah, strict regulations on how many people can stay in an apartment um, because if people, if more people could stay to an apartment, then obviously you need fewer apartments. There's so many regulations. I think Ryan McMacken at Mises.org has written quite a lot of articles about how the government drives the price of housing in the U.S. through the roof. And I do talk about that in my book because it's one of my ways of saying, well, look, you know, if you just got the government the hell out of the way, the cost of living would be so much lower than it is now that you wouldn't need a UBI because people would be so rich. I mean, just think America pays twice as much per head on healthcare every year as most other industrialized countries and yeah if you can afford it you can get better healthcare in the US than most places however the the price of healthcare has been driven through the roof by the american government in so many ways that we could outline i think the average person in this country does not realize how impoverished they are by government essentially. And that's Mm -hmm. why they think you need a UBI because they don't realize how rich everyone would be on a free market.
1: Yeah. Well in in this, this ties into one of my favorite books that I've ever read on economics markets, not capitalism. And you, one of the things I look at is whenever like, like the, the socialist types, or the communist types like say like oh rent is theft or you know whatever property is theft i'm looking at it at what they're saying and they're saying that these prices are artificially high they just they, they stop at at the surface level they don't dig in deep into what it would take or what it would be under a, a a truly market situation. And so like it, it, as you were saying, like there, there are these incentives for the, for the government to keep the prices of land high. And and there's this public pressure for them to keep the prices of land high. But, and, and if, and if property were acting as everything else within the market acts, then the prices would be dropping and it would not be good for the landlords. It would not be as good for the landlords. It would not be as profitable to be a landlord, right? So they' they're, they're identifying an issue, but they're not they're not getting deep enough into the subject to understand that the issue is created by what they're advocating by the regulations and by the, the intervention of the government is is what is actually driving the prices up and making it so much more difficult for young people to own homes nowadays as opposed to in the past
0: absolutely and you know on a free market a landlord provides a service he takes the responsibility over replacing fittings and you know if anything happens to the place it's on him Mm. you know people don't treat things that they don't own as well as they treat things that they do own. So, you know, the kind of repairs and things like that probably be cheaper to rent a place than to get a mortgage. And so there, there, some people don't want to own their own home because they want the flexibility of being able to leave. There's lots of things that the landlord does now. It might be under this current system that they are getting inflated Profits and rents, but essentially that's measured against every other investment that they could have made. Because you don't need to buy an extra apartment; you could go into the stock market instead. You could sell bonds, or you could just buy a yacht or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you could buy luxury items. You don't have to invest money in property mm-hmm. now because we've had such a corrupt system it's been beneficial to people who already have capital Mm. to invest in property because the price of property has gone through the roof. But that wouldn't necessarily be the case. I mean, in any market where you see prices stay high and fail to come down, you can pretty much bet that the government's involved because it's like... It's a simple principle, if there's high profits that um, attracts more service provision in order to take care of the profits. So if it's so profitable to rent, then the the regular free market thing would be to build more apartments, to to take advantage of the high rents, but obviously that's being disallowed. So in many places, they've got regulations about how high you're allowed to build, uh, even though, you know, large buildings are more energy efficient and we're meant to be green these days, you know, uh, there, there, there's a whole host of hypocrisies and things like that.
1: Yeah. And well, I just I just changed jobs and now I'm working for a lumber company and um, still driving a truck. I'm delivering the materials to the job sites and there, the company I'm working for has a seven year contract with the Texas government, um, building GLOs and they're it's, it's the governmental land office. And basically what, what they're doing is they're going in. And I mean, you're talking two, three years out and in some cases, five years out from hurricanes that have hit and flooded these homes and destroyed these homes. And they're tearing down these homes and rebuilding these homes for the um, for, for the, the people that live in these homes. And so you're looking at a situation where the taxpayer is on the, on the line for <coughs> building homes or, or rebuilding homes for people that are living in a floodplain, and and the, in the, and the way the insurance is set up down here, it's not set up here in hurricane alley for the government or, or for the insurance company to cover the entire expense. FEMA has kind of pushed the private in, insurance agencies out of the market in many cases and taken over those expenses that would would normally be left to insurance companies. So you have governments going in, tearing down a home that's probably worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars at at best, and building two hundred. $300,000 homes in its place because they're putting it on, um, they're, they're, they're building these homes above ground on pillars, five foot off the ground so that they won't experience flood damage next time. So there's, they're looking at it saying, okay, we don't want to have to turn around and rebuild these homes again in five years when another hurricane, you know, savages this region. But at the same time, w- you know, you have to wonder why is the why is the taxpayer, the, the people, the other people who have had their homes devastated that can't afford to have their homes rebuilt, but make too much money for the government to come in and rebuild them on the line to, to rebuild these homes that should have never been their responsibility in the first place.
0: Right. And when you have a democracy, you have a system that's inherently built for people to take the consequences of their negative or let's say the negative consequences of their actions and export them to the body politic. It's like, you know, if I want to have if I'm able to get the taxpayers to underwrite my insurance then why am I going to try and do that? And it's like um, the Bastiat quote, the government is that great fiction by which everyone tries to live at the expense of everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you've got a situation where people are incentivized to loot each other. Same with the healthcare system when it comes to, you know, people um, trying to stop insurance companies from discriminating from price discriminating against people by age even though older people on average have more wealth than younger people or stop people discriminating in their premiums by people's lifestyle choices i mean if there's so much argument and debate on the science of what is healthy to eat and what kind of exercise is damaging to your joints and in the long term and how many people have back pain and the thing is, if you had a proper insurance system um, that the incentives to get clear scientific information on all of this health-related stuff would be so huge because the, the, the that's how the insurance companies would be preventing um, themselves from having to do big payouts by being able to discriminate against people who had unhealthy habits and charge them more but so we've lost out on decades of clear research on how to live a good life and if people don't want to follow the research then they can but it just means that they're going to have to pay a little bit more for healthcare or a lot more if they if they adopt a lot of unhealthy habits mm. and that's fine you know the, the sad thing is not that the sad thing is just the, 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 the ha, having missed out on this. like even it's like if people want don't want to make unhealthy choices, that's fine. That's not the sad thing. It's the sad thing that people who really do want to make um, unhealthy choices hear that cholesterol's good bad for you one day, good for you the next day. And then bad for you again on the third, and they don't like they, you know, they don't know, they don't know who to who to trust or who to believe. And they can't get clear information. Same, you know, even with the drug war. <clears throat> if drugs hadn't been made illegal, then all the research that would have been done in drugs, not just for therapeutic value, as they're now doing with psilocybin and they were before they were made illegal with mdma for trauma therapy for couples counseling all sorts of things not just that but i mean these people would be trying to engineer the drugs to have fewer side effects to make them less dangerous and to um um you know we lost all the decades of research on how to how to make the drugs safer and and better for people because Mm. of the small-mindedness of thinking well we don't like something so we can legislate against it and make it go away you know we don't think it's fair that you know you might that someone somewhere might slip through the cracks and not get healthcare, even though if we allow that risk the price of healthcare will go down through the floor and it will be easier to provide for people it's a little bit sad when you because it's the scene and the unseen people can't actually see what the society would look like if not for decades of the state pouring treacle into the gears.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the, the they it, this goes back to the money printing. They just, I mean, I don't even know, I, I completely lost track of how much money they created over the last year and a half. I just I, I think I quit paying attention at six trillion. I was like they're just not gonna fucking stop you know
0: well yeah, it's almost like they want to crash the global economy. I mean what um, they they're not that stupid. They know that money printing creates price inflation. So what so, so it, I'm a little bit mystified as to what's going on.
1: I think they're moving into a direction, and and there's there's a website up. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever looked at it. It's called the Digital Dollar Project um, org. I think is what it where you can find it. And they're they're actually talking about creating um, basically uh, a federal cryptocurrency. And so what I think they're doing is I think they're preparing the world to move completely paperless because. If you move if you move paperless then you can track all currency exchanges you can you can track all purchases right and so as as you're as you're able to move into a paperless direction then there's then there's the digital record kept on file for you and we've seen we've seen like the the um, emergence through the SEC of ESG scores, which I don't know if you've ever looked, if you've looked into the ESG at all, have you looked into that?
0: No. And um, enlighten me.
1: Okay. So what happened was that everybody's talking about this great reset stuff that the world economic forum is trying to push forward into the global economy. And, um, what, what the U S government did was they said, okay, well, we'll take a little piece of this. We'll, we're going to take part of it and we're going to implement this in, uh, via the sec and we're going to create a task force that's in, in, in charge of monitoring the environmental, social justice and governmental effects of people's investments and purchases. Okay. Okay now that what they what they're doing is they're selling it as well we're just monitoring corporations and investors but any investor anybody with a 401k is an investor right and 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 so i look at it and i'm going okay so it, it, when you have like Merrill Edge putting it on their 401k dashboard for all the members of their 401k group saying here is your ESG score and what they're doing is they they're, they're they're ranking your investments and they're, it's kind of like a social credit score kind of thing where they're ranking your, your investments and they're scoring you based upon where, where you're putting your money and this, this is put into place so they can decide on whether or not you're um, capable of getting loans or, or uh, any, or, or banking in the future. So what they're doing is, so they're taking this idea of the social credit score that China has implemented it and implementing it into the financial market in order to choke you off from making poor investments or poor financial decisions. And so instead of them regulating or prohibiting as they have with drugs since the 60s, what they're, they're going to do choke you off via banking and make you change your decisions based upon your uh your availability to money
0: yeah well it's interesting yeah it's 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 amazing that the tools that they have for I mean, technology such as doublet is sword in terms of railroading people into whatever options they decide are um, where they where they kind of want people to go. I guess what what's more worrisome is the the levels of compliance of people. Like when you look at the lockdowns and things, and how how little people seem to value their freedom Yeah. Just that, to how few, how few of us there are, you know, that go, this is a crock.
1: Yeah. Well, the, it, it, and it's, it's something that I, I tr- I've, I've tried to, to really verbalize. And it's really hard to, to really dig down deep, into the economics of what's happening with the amount of money printing and make it sellable to an average person which is what i try to do with my podcast is i try to make it uh, accessible to normies so to speak and i don't mean that pejorative mm-hmm. no it's just there are a lot of people that just I, I mean i work for a living you know what i'm saying and it's hard for me to keep mm-hmm. up enough to, to even direct this podcast. So there are a lot of people who have kids in their homes. I don't have any kids in my house. You know, all my kids are grown. So Mm. it's hard for, it's hard for a lot of people that are parenting and moving along. Thank you. Um, to, to keep up with these types of things. And then these, these subjects are so complex. And there's so many different tiers and levels to them that it's really difficult to make it accessible for people to understand what is happening around them.
0: Well, people need to first want to understand. I mean, libertarians mostly have this kind of mind where they just love details and nuance and they love to have a full understanding of things. And it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of, people who are just more go-along-to-get-along and, like... uh, But the thing is, there are quite a lot of people who are political and either on the Democrat or Republican side that consider themselves to be interested in nuance and things. What I'm finding confusing is when confronted with the evidence of Florida or Texas, let's say, um an un, un an inability or unwillingness to go oh well I guess lockdowns aren't that effective even though the evidence is overwhelming like I just spoke to a friend of mine a couple of days ago in LA she came from she came back to the the USA after living it for years in Chile mm-hmm. she was uh She's a U.S. citizen, as far as I know. Yeah, because she grew up here. So I don't think she's renounced her citizenship. The lockdown was so bad in Chile that you needed a permit to leave the house. Mm -hmm. And you needed to show your permit at the grocery store to get in. And for years, they've been telling us, if you don't like it, you can just leave. It was hard for her to leave Chile, despite the fact that she's a U.S. citizen. They made it hard for her to leave. I think she needed to apply for, like, four permits, mm. and one of them was rejected, so she needed to find another way around. They, they made it difficult for her to even leave the country. So not only did you need a permit to go into a shop, but the, you, you weren't allowed to vote with your feet and go, well, fuck this, I'm going to somewhere freer. They they put roadblocks in the way of believing. People who are pro-lockdown, like in the UK, they're opening up and there's actually journalists writing articles saying Boris Johnson is so responsible for opening up and loosening restrictions, right? These people don't realise, I mean, to them, Stalin and Hitler only happens to other people. They couldn't possibly happen to them. Chile is not that far away from the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, Australia went that way, and that's a Western country where people speak English. Like, and here's the weird thing. Here's the apps. well, there's a couple of weird things, but to me, this is absolutely insane. A few months before the coronavirus, in Chile, they raised the price of taking the underground, the public transport, and there was protests. Students were even rioting. In some cases, they set subway stations on fire. Mm. So they're willing to riot over an increase in public transport costs. Right. But they're not willing to protest or make their voice known about being told they can't leave the house without a permit. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like, that's... They, they value their freedom less than an increase. Like, that's what makes... Me, this is mystifying to me. <clears throat> now, to top it all off, Chile had one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. And they had a... And they're one of the most vaccinated countries. Mm-hmm. They had a big vaccine campaign. And guess what happened afterwards? There was a surge in cases and deaths. So obviously their stringent lockdown policy hasn't worked, right? Mm. Even if you don't believe that the vaccine caused the surge in cases, it doesn't really matter whether you do or not. The point is, their strict lockdown policy didn't work. But people don't go, oh, shit, obviously that was the wrong policy because we tried it out and it hasn't worked. We've had a surge in cases, even though we're one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. You know, I don't know when the penny drops for people. It's like they prefer to believe that lockdowns work. It's more of a preference than an opinion. So how can you talk someone out of a preference? France very much had a very strict lockdown with permits to leave the house as well. Uh, Much the same as Chile in the sense that the French people have been known to go out and protest, to protest because they're... Labor rights are not respected. To protest because the minimum wage is too low, or the gas tax taxes on, are
1: too high. The tax
0: on gas is too high, or mm-hmm. you know, and what the French?
1: Yeah, they're. I you mean, know, they I've,
0: accept this. Well, you, you, you know what you're I'm doing. so disappointed in Scotland. Well,
1: you're kind of you kind of you're you're saying these things and i'm starting it, it, it struck a nerve with me because so many americans think that the world revolves around america right and right and there's this idea that what's happening in america is the most important thing that's happening but these these lockdowns were worldwide like this was a global lockdown this was insanity people talk about the new world order or global governance we just saw it happen right like i mean this is this is not a conspiracy like we just witnessed this and and then there's all this talk about the the virus being created in a lab in wuhan financed by Dr. Fauci and the NIH and them being uh, involved in creating this virus, you know, uh, through gain of function research. And I'm starting to, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, saying were, were things so outrageous all around the world? Because what was it? We were looking at like three or four solid years of, of, of protests in different countries around the world. I mean, France, Hong Kong, you know, like there were all these things going on all around the world. Maybe this virus and yet- wasn't a, an attack on the United States. Maybe it was released intentionally as some people suspect, but maybe it wasn't an attack on the United States. Maybe it was an attack
0: on people demanding freedom. Well, the thing is, we've seen that there's precious few of those when it comes to comes to lockdowns. Like, I don't know if the virus was artificially created in the lab. I don't know if the virus was released on purpose. I don't I wouldn't you know, nothing would fucking surprise me. Right. If uh, you know, if well, it, and if that's it the, that's out the that sad things,
1: thing. That's the sad thing is, is these people, we believe whether, whether or not it's true, it is very easy to believe that these people are capable of doing that.
0: Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So it, the, the, the fact is it doesn't really matter whether the uh, the virus was artificially engineered in a lab. Like it doesn't even matter if 9-11 was an inside job or not. Mm-hmm. They still used it to herald in the war on terror and blah 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 but the thing is you wouldn't be surprised if right supposing we say 9 11 wasn't an inside job you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily object that but if they could have pulled it off they would have like (laughs) we're at the point where we think you know the thing is the facts on (laughs) as the point is the facts on these things don't matter the fact is they're willing to subject people to tyranny at, at the first opportunity. And not only that, but people accept it. Like I've spent over six months in India in the last four years. And India is a country where people were moving out of poverty at a unprecedented rate, but so many people there rely on tourism and live hand to mouth. So when they say there's no tourists allowed in India, you know, and back at the beginning of this year, I I still wanted to go, go to India for a month in the winter. I was checking every month to say, well, maybe they'll be open next month. Well, maybe they'll be open next month. Guess what? We're at July and they're still not open to tourists. The people in the government in India can't be stupid. They must know that some people, if they don't work, they don't eat. Mm. And they depend on people coming in to spend money. So either they just don't care that some people are going to starve to death, or they think there's maybe a few too many million um, poor people in India, and it might not be too bad a thing if they starve to death. I personally have a friend who lives in New Delhi who had a business called Delhi Bicy- Bicycle, where he'd take people on bike tours of Delhi? They killed his business, and you know he. The reason why I mention it is it's just like one example mm. of, but people understand a story. That's why I tell the story of my friend in Chile because it makes it concrete. When you say millions of people will have lost their business, and like no one relates to that, I. Early on in the lockdowns, a couple of months, said sent a text to someone in the north of India, you know, in a more rural area, uh, asking how things were going. He was like, "It's terrible, you know. There's children on the street asking for money for food or asking for food. And I can't even give them anything because I don't have anything left. I don't have anything left because I don't have anything left myself." He was working. I met him because he was worth working in a hostel. Well, without any tourists, there was no one to go and stay in the rooms in the hostel. Mm -hmm. So them and all of the other accommodation in the area and whether all the jobs shut down, like I don't know how these people survive. It's one thing in America or the UK, which are affluent countries that have some reserves, you know, that have wealth to rely on. Yeah, But in... Poor countries, it's absolutely devastating. And what I just keep coming back to is how do these people allow this? How do they even allow their own government to do it? I think it was in um where's where was it? I'll come back to me. Malawi, I think it was. The people there just protested against yes. the lockdowns. Yes. And the they were like, no.
1: Everything we make in a day is what feeds us for that day. We have to work every day. Yes, I remember that. I was like, that, yeah, I was actually going to bring it up, but I was just going to call it an African country because I couldn't remember which one it was. But you're right, it was Malawi.
0: Yes. So why aren't there, why weren't there a million Malawis? That's what, well, I mean, there aren't a million countries in the world, but I can't, I can't believe that they're the only country where people stood up and said, no, you know, we work from we 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 live from hand to mouth and we're not going to let you starve us to death mm-hmm. i have a friend in scotland who he reminds me of i don't know if anyone's read animal farm by george orwell but the horse is called boxer and he works his ass off and then at the end he sent the glue factory that's how i see my friend like I've known him for so long, he works so hard, he creates businesses, he he helps a lot with the Libertarian Party in Scotland, the Scottish Libertarian Party. And he had businesses that were absolutely destroyed by the government lockdowns to the point where he told me, you know sometimes he was suicidal this guy's got kids Mm. everything he's worked for has been destroyed at the beginning they i think gave him one handout then decided that his industry wasn't you know essential enough to give handouts except for of course to a few businesses which were you know closer to the government right um uh, he says that ordinary people just don't understand the complexity of the regulations and think that businesses should just apply for funding or just mm-hmm. close the business and open it up or claim furlough. You know, they said, a hairdresser said to him online, you know, why don't you just get a job? He's poured his life. Like we need to tell stories to people because they don't fucking get to otherwise. Yeah. Like that, Real people's lives are being destroyed. You know, you can say to them, because of the coronavirus, X tens of thousands of people are going to miss cancer screenings, and um you know, they're gonna their heart disease is gonna to advance towards the fact where they're terminal and can't even get a fucking operation. And for some reason, there's no idea of cost-benefit analysis in the heads of pro lockdown people. And I'm waiting for people to tell me their stories of actually getting through to people who are pro lockdown and changing their minds. Cause it seems to me to be some kind of religion that is immune to reason and evidence. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and it, and it, and it doesn't only go with the lockdown. I mean, it comes with this, uh, this vaccine too. I mean, there are a lot of people I know, I personally know people that have died from like the day after getting the vaccine. Right. And And people
0: just think, oh, it's just a tiny num oh that's just a tiny. They just I know at least a few people who say that. Oh, it must just be a tiny percentage of people. Well, how do we know that? Right. When they won't let us discuss it openly without taking our posts down from Facebook or YouTube. Where do you get reliable figures? I have a friend who had a uh, allergy to latex and she was vaccinated with a vaccine that had latex in it. It took yeah. her 10 years to recover. She had to have an extremely limited diet yeah, um, and pretty much eat nothing but a few certain foods for 10 years. Mm. It was like, um, you know, and then as a consequence of that, what was a mild latex allergy became extremely severe and she could die if she came into contact with latex after that vaccination. Um, So that proves that vaccinations can cause allergies. And what have we seen since 1986 when Reagan um, passed the law that said that vaccine manufacturers were immune to being sued. Well, first you had an upsurge in the number of vaccines on the vaccine schedule. So by 1989, we had the arrival of all these um, diseases that were very rare before, like colitis, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, there's a whole list of diseases that were very rare before 1989 that sort of became common. And what guess what else? All these allergies. It didn't used to be that every second person was celiac and couldn't have gluten. It -hmm. didn't used to be that everyone was fucking lactose intolerant and everyone, every fourth, fifth person was um, allergic to peanuts. Like the thing is, there's a legume, there's a, a, a legume oil or something like that in a bunch of the vaccinations. And some people like my friend Irene, who got, um, who, who was injected with latex and had a vaccine injury, she says in the same way that um, uh, the vaccine made her extremely allergic to latex instead of just a little bit allergic to latex, she believes, she's a doctor by the way, she's an MD, she believes that the vaccines are causing these, because the legume oil's in it, it's causing all these peanut allergies and, and other allergies. Now I can't prove that or anything like that, but is it should it be forbidden to say it? <coughs> Can the National Institute of Health not just run a big, large scale study comparing vaccinated populations to unvaccinated populations? They refuse to do the study. Is that anti science? Like, I mean, is it anti science to say I'm skeptical about vaccines because they won't do the study comparing the long term health outcomes of non vaccination to? populations to vaccinate like i would say it's pro-science to say they should do the fucking study right but they'll never do the study because the nih the fda and the cdc all own patents and vaccines and they all gain revenue from vaccines and all three organizations most of their funding comes from pharma and most of the pharma companies that fund them also have patents and vaccines. Now we usually call that a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. So I don't I get very frustrated when people like just shut off when this topic comes up and say, oh you must be a lunatic or you're anti-science. Like every time I get called anti-science it's for asking for more science, I'm saying they should do the study of the long-term health outcomes. I'm saying that vaccines should be tested against the placebo which they're not. Most medications are tested against the placebo, but vaccines aren't. That would be pro-science. I'm asking for more science. And fundamentally, I think they should safety test the entire vaccine schedule because what they're doing right now is they're safety testing all of the vaccines individually. But see, what if a little bit of aluminium from one vaccine is harmless, but then when you add a second one and a third one and a four, and you get 16 you get 16 shots that all have a tiny bit of aluminium in them, that it's a cumulative effect. They refuse to the safety test the whole vaccine schedule, but I'm the one that's anti-science for saying we should do the science. You know, it's uh, it's one of these issues like Israel-Palestine or something like that, where people just go fucking ballistic. If you, you know, they, they just, their ability to reason just or abortion or like, so I don't mean ability to reason, but I mean, ability to have a civilized conversation. You right. Know, it it a becomes third emotional. Yeah. Vaccines are like one of these third rail topics where you can't right. even fucking talk about. Them.
1: Well, in, 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 I, I, I've often wondered like, because corporations are so global nowadays, like corporations don't operate just in one country, you know? And most of the CEOs of, of corporations have no allegiance to any particular country. You kick them out of one country that's moved to another country. They're not, they're not restrained by borders because of the amount of money they have and the amount of money they've ever, but I've often, I've often wondered who has, who has the most influence and you've, you've traveled the world much more than I have. You've looked at the, the world economy much closer than I have. So so maybe you kind of have an idea of this. Is it is it like the Federal Reserve that is in bed with these corporations or is it the IMF that is in bed with these corporations that, that is actually creating this kind of third rail kind of ideal?
0: You know, I can't say that I have, a, I know, you know, I've not really been following the IMF I, I think what you have is groups that have common interests, mm-hmm. forging alliances to serve their common interests, and that and these government organizations, like sorry, they're not real, like let like the World Health Organization, for example. People like to think that they are outside of the market, and they can be arbiters and give impartial advice and be fair. But they don't understand that every entity that exists is subject to incentives, economic and otherwise, regardless of whether it's a private corporation or an NGO. There's no such thing as an impartial referee. In fact, there are no referees. There are only players. And people, how can the CDC and the NIH and the FDA be a regulator when their funding comes from exactly the agencies that they're meant to be regulating? How can the journals, the medical journals, you know, um, the editors of The Lancet and the British medical journals left and discussed because they said 70% of their articles were just propaganda for pharma. Um, and a bunch of other editors of journals have said, "Well, we can't really guarantee to doctors that our coverage is impartial. They need to look at the science themselves." And it's mm-hmm. like, "Well, wait a minute. The whole point of you being there is that you do the science so that the doctor can trust your conclusions. Otherwise, the whole point is you're meant to be providing people a shortcut so that they don't have to do all the to look at all the science so that you can summarize it for them." The 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 funding. Their advertising for the journals comes from pharma. Then when you look at the television in the evening, 18 out of 22 ads are from pharma. People think they're trying to advertise them drugs. They are not. That is not the purpose of them advertising on TV. They're buying favorable coverage. So the news media cannot expose pharmaceutical scandals or vaccine injuries because 18 out of the 22 ads are paid for for pharma and if they if they cover a scandal they lose they risk alienating those advertisers and losing all their advertising money so you've i mean america and new zealand are pretty much the only countries where it's legal to advertise medication directly to the public i'm not saying that that's bad i'm just saying that the effects of it under the current system are that people are not going to get access to good information on the effects of pharmaceuticals or vaccines from mainstream media because they're basically bought off so people this is so complicated that people don't actually know You, you know people think you know the doctor the medical industry is still something that people look up to they look up to the fact that you study for seven years and do a for and do a residency to become a surgeon or a doctor and that these people work so hard and that's fair but with it they just think how could you know the whole industry can't be lying these good people can't be lying they just don't understand how many levels the biasing of the information that they're receiving takes place on they don't understand the incentive structure of the system and as you can tell by the fact that i've been ranting about it for 20 minutes it's not something you can explain to someone in short because they're gonna so the media is lying and the nih is lying and the fdi and the CDC and the and the medical journals and and the and the the medical schools and all the doctors and you know you know it would seem far fetched if you don't actually understand the process by which all of these organizations have been co-opted and are essentially to a large degree, a spokes piece for pharma, because all the money comes from pharma.
1: Yeah. Well, and do, I mean, these pharmaceutical companies, like, like I said, these are, these are global corporations. These, these, these corporations, they may be owned by American citizens, but they're global. They don't just operate in America. They operate all over. And so you have these companies like Pfizer that are, you know, in bed with the world economic forum. They're, they're in bed with Jeff Bezos. They're in bed with,
0: and these... they've been involved in so much fraud and scandal over the years. There's actually a website that's called um, Pfizer Rap Sheet or something like that mm. that goes through a list of all the all the scandals, that all the times they've been sued, all the times they've falsified research, and mm. blah blah blah. And also bear in mind, these companies get huge sums of money from the, the government. The government does massively inflate the research costs for drugs, but. Mm. But that, in a way, helps the big pharmaceutical corporations because small companies can't actually afford the research costs, so they're actually reducing the number of actors in the market. Now, if you can get a dro- a vaccine mandated, that is billions of dollars a year, potentially, you're going to get from the government who's going to pay for that. And on top of that, you have all the Medicare and Medicare in the UK, obviously we have socialized healthcare. In lots of countries, they have socialized healthcare, where the government pays for these medications. So it's not like these companies are just free market entities; they're getting huge sums of money for the from the taxpayer. Yeah, well, and, that, and they're using that money to co op the national the 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 regulators.
1: That's kind of where I that was kind of the direction I was going was these, uh, these companies, they, they receive so many subsidies. I mean, and I mean, you can, you can look at any of them from big pharma to big tech and, and go, you know, Google and Facebook or Pfizer or Moderna, you know, Moderna is like 50% owned by the NIH, you know? And, and so you can look at this and you'd be like, these aren't private companies. They're not acting in the manner in which the market would, would would, uh, demand that they act. They're not acting in the best interest of their customers because the the way that the market would work the the way that a free market would work is let's say I am producing a product. Let's just say eggs because you know, I have my chickens laying eggs. And so I would have to make sure that my chickens were on a good diet, producing good eggs that people demanded in order to compete in a market of eggs. And they don't, they they get these regulations that cut off competition and they get these subsidies and they've monopolized yeah. the in- industry in such a way that cartelized the industry. If you want to use Rothbardian terms and in such a way and, and I don't look at these companies, these corporations, as private entities. And this is one of the big fights that, I, that are going on right now. It's like, no, dude, these aren't private companies, bro. Like, they're government contractors at best. They're government-subsidized right. uh, bureau- well, bureaucrats it, at worst. Way.
0: To use your analogy, right? See if the government came along and they said, we're going to buy your egg. People need... To- eggs because they're not getting enough high quality protein so we're going to come in and we're going to buy your eggs and we're going to distribute them to Mm -hmm. other populations suddenly you've got no incentive whatsoever to buy the best feed for the chickens you're just going to buy the cheapest shit that you can find because every penny you save is a penny earned right Mm -hmm. you could you could produce the lowest quality eggs because the government is just guaranteed to buy it and a similar thing is happening when the government buys all of these drugs for people. Like the incentive to create a great product with the fewest number of side effects or the best product in the market is at least somewhat reduced by that. And, um, you know, sometimes generics will do a good job, and they, also the the, the Incentive to reduce the cost of production is also reduced when the government's buying it. And um so so they're they're detached from the incentives of the marketplace. They're also detached from the incentives of the marketplace when it comes to vaccinations, let's say, because they cannot be sued for any for injuries for any mm-hmm. conditions that are put on the insert. So if you look at the insert of vaccinations, it says, may cause this, may cause that, may cause this, may cause that. Even including autism, they say, may cause autism. Why, just, just because, just in case, if they put it on the insert, then that it might cause something, then they can't be sued for it causing that thing. So right. this has also detached them from the incentives of the marketplace where, let's say, Milton Friedman was asked by someone that a company released a car Knowing that it had a defect, and you know, one in such and such many tens of thousands of people would die because of it. And Milton Fried, and they did a cost benefit analysis and said, "How much will we get sued?" Um, and they decided not to recall the car. Right. And, and someone said to Milton Friedman, "Well, what about this? Isn't this just showing how greedy capitalists are?" And Milton Friedman was like, "Well, is there an infinite value?" in a human life like what if like i can't remember exactly what you said but i'm sort of doing my own version of it So let's supposing it was just one in a million people who died should they recall all those cars at great expense and replace them there comes to a point where it's not really worth it to do it because the cost <laughs> of recalling the car it outweighs the cost of a human life, because if you spent exactly that amount of money and buying, Milton Friedman didn't say this obviously, but I'm saying that. Let's suppose instead of by recalling the car, we spend the money that it would cost to recall the car buying mosquito nets in Africa and we'll save so many people from dying of malaria. There'll be like 100,000 times as much benefit for the same amount of money, you know. And that's fine, okay? All medications have side effects and occasionally people are going to be injured by them. That's why you're allowed to sue the company so the company can do a best cost-benefit analysis and decide whether the number of vaccine injuries outweighs the benefits of the vaccines or not. And when you can't sue the company for causing injury, there's no way to determine. And I can bet you... That there's far more vaccine injuries than people realize, and that the market would sustain. And I know that because otherwise, they wouldn't have gone to the government to get immunity from prosecution for injury. Yeah,
1: yeah. You would you wouldn't need immunity if if your product is, you know, top of the line. Yeah, I mean, it, that's just... right. And
0: maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should be making them safer. Yeah. You know, maybe they shouldn't be putting detergent and aluminium compounds and, you know, cells from aborted fetuses and all the fucking fucked up shit that goes in like in some of the vaccines. You know, maybe they should be finding a safer way to do it. Maybe mm-hmm. they shouldn't be injecting into the blood. Maybe they should find nasal sprays for vaccines. You know, mm-hmm. s- people have pioneered research into that because the, the body is very particular about what it lets into the blood right and you know if, if you take something harmful in through your mouth you can puke you can get the shit you can cough you can sneeze the blood can't puke mm-hmm. so when you're putting like small quantities of it's like if you drink a cup of Drano you'll probably puke up and you won't die But if you inject a tiny bit of Drano into your vein, then it will kill you Mm -hmm. because what is a small amount of a toxic compound to ingest through your mouth is not a small amount of a toxic compound to inject directly into your veins. Right. So, but of course, you know, if you suggest this, you're anti-science. So, you know, (laughs) I'd like to write an article on this. Um, on because like I would have like if there's one fucking issue you don't want to be on the you know you don't want to be it's like who, who actually wants to be critical of vaccines like the amount of hate and flaming that you'll get for that is like through the roof but you know the more I read the more reasonable claims I found I'm, mm. a, I'm just saying you know I'm just asking for more science. That's the crazy thing because they always say that you're being <laughs> science. But actually, I'm just asking for more science, yeah. right? That's yeah. what I want. I want them to treat vaccines like other drugs. I want them to test them against a the placebo. And um, I want them to safety test the whole vaccine schedule. And I want them to do a long term study of health c- outcomes of vaccinated versus non-vaccinated populations, right? So I would say those are all reasonable things to want data on since we're basically vaccinating kids with more shots than ever and the government's paying for it and the companies are immune to prosecution and all the regulators own patents and vaccines, right? Since those are the circumstances we're labouring under, I think, you know, running the fucking studies might be a good idea so we've got clear data since right. we're doing this huge experiment mm-hmm.
1: yeah no you're absolutely right there and i would love to read that article if you ever do write it i hope it's published at the libertarian institute well it'll be easier institute. to do it now
0: because uh, it'll be inter- do you think i should su- uh, submit it to the libertarian institute okay yes. maybe i'll do that w- well i'll um it'll be easier to do it now. Cause I've talked about it on your podcast so I can go back and listen to it and summarize all my points. Yeah. I think I might, I was trying to think about like a title for it, like, um like something, you know, something about anti-science, but I think, I think I've got the title now. Like the title would be, I'm just asking for more science. Yes. Yeah.
1: That'd be a good one. But we've been going, uh, over an hour, man. And uh, i cool. don't keep you too long. I have two more interviews to do today, so I can't wear myself well out listening to Anthony all day.
0: Well, I hope that we covered all the topics that you wanted to cover. And uh, I'm let, happy it, with it, it. It went in a different a direction different than I I've thought it was through.
1: going to, but I'm happy with it. I'm very happy. Okay, cool. All right, brother. Well, thanks well,
0: very much for having me on the show. I enjoyed it. Uh, and um, it's great to connect with you, bro. Well, man, I'll, syndicate uh, it out. I'll syndicate it out to Scottish Liberty Podcast in a couple of weeks as well Cool,
1: Pl- plug away real quick
0: Okay, well I'm responsible for the Scottish Liberty Podcast which you'll find on iTunes and also Be Yourself and Love It Podcast which is more personal development orientated uh, you can also find a bunch of my articles on org, <laughs> and you can find if you want to speak to me usually the best way is to message me on facebook although i started using twitter as well so you can message me on twitter
1: yep all right well i will i'm push, easy to find i will i will i will make sure all that is in the show notes so people can find you make it easier on them to find you awesome thank you so much for
0: having me i enjoyed the chat all right bro. Well, i'm going to stop the recording